Some things went wrong, but a lot went right in Desmond Ritter's return to the lineup. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, everyone, to another illustrious episode of the Locked on Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of Locked on Sports Atlanta, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL and use code in all lowercase locked on NFL for a first deposit match up to one hundred dollars. So, guys, if you don't know me, I'm your very humble host, Aaron Freeman. Been covering the Falcons for too long, far too long. Formerly at Falcfans.com, RIP. Still going strong. You may also know me as Mr. Drew, Sirius Black. And a special shout out goes out to the everydayers that make this very illustrious podcast their first listen each and every day. All right. And all you got to do to follow in their footsteps, guys, is to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So today's episode is an all-22 review. We'll start off things talking about Desmond Ritter's play in this game. We'll talk about some of the defensive adjustments and changes and schematic things that the team did, and we'll talk about the secondary and some of the good, some of the bad. And then we'll wrap up today's episode talking a little bit more about Kyle Pitts' recovery from his knee injury, as well as my thoughts on Arthur Smith's play calling and whether or not it's the problem. So let's start off talking about Ritter. And I thought he played, you know, did good work in this game, right? Most of the negatives outside of those two turnovers um, were, I felt like he was maybe a little too focused on Drake London at times. I thought there was a couple of plays that, you know, yards and plays that he left on the field because he was locked in on, on uh, Drake London. Um, there was a throw over the middle in the second series that went to London for a 25 yard gain, but I thought he had an opportunity on that same play to, to take a deep shot on a corner route to, to Scotty Miller, who I thought was open. That could have been a touchdown. Had he pulled the trigger on that one, there was a questionable play in the third quarter drive where he threw, um, a pick to Jefferson on that same drive earlier in that drive on the first play of that series. Uh, there was a pass that was tipped at the line. And I thought that was Ritter looking to throw a curl to Drake London. And he kind of missed Demario Davis, the Saints middle linebacker, sort of sinking into the window there. And fortunately, the ball got tipped because it could have been a turnover worthy play had it not been tipped. And even it almost got tipped into Davis's hands. So, you know, that was one instance where I thought he was a little bit too locked on London. But we know the Drake London, Desmond Ritter, you know, rapport is very strong, except for when it's not like on the the opening series on that third down play where Ritter threw behind London because he was expecting him to sit to try to throw him away from the coverage and London didn't sit and lockdown Falcons insiders. know we, we talked about that. We pointed this out several times on the extended all 22 reviews, basically since like the week three game um, or week four game, uh, which is like Drake London doesn't always do the best when it comes to finding open windows against zone coverage. You know, Kader Hodge tends to do that a lot better. Uh, and that play seemed to be another example of that. And that goes back to something I talked about last week on the Black Friday episode, Mailbag, where I talked about the mental issues, mental errors being a bigger culprit than necessarily the play calling uh, when it comes to why certain things aren't working. And it's things like that, where your receiver is 
not running is running into coverage as opposed to away from coverage. Um, but you know, all that to say, clearly there are still things that this team and this offense and this passing game can clean up. But again, I think overall I, I felt good about Ritter's performance, right? I especially thought, you know, we talked about this on yesterday's episode, his ability to handle pressure was good. He used his legs in a great scramble at the end of the half on a third and four, the saints were in a cover zero blitz. They had a free rusher. I think they rushed seven Falcons only had a six man protection. Uh, and he managed to escape a very collapsed pocket and scramble for a first down on that play. And basically his legs um, made the difference when, you know, the Falcons couldn't block it up. And then there was a similar play early in the fourth quarter, um, right before Bijan's touchdown catch um, where it wasn't true cover zero blitz, but the saints did wind up having a free rusher. I think it was honey badger on that play. And the Falcons only had a six man protection on, on the six man rush. Um, and Ritter hit London on that play. And then London did a good job after the catch to turn that into a 29 yard play to set up. Then the following play, which was another great uh, example of Ritter's ability to, to deal with pressure uh, with a rusher in his face. I think it was Pete Warner who was able to shoot past Drew Dahlman on that particular play. And Bijan sort of sprinted out of the backfield and, and, and roasted Demario Davis. And of course, Ritter hit him in stride, a, a great throw, a great catch on that play for the touchdown. So, you know, those are going to be some of the plays that the locked on Falcons insiders will get uh, access to in the extended all 22 review in high definition video. Um, and that's one of the perks of, of being a Lockdown Falcons insider. And if you want to get access to that extended all 22 review um, and we'll be breaking down some of the Ritter stuff as well as other things uh, that I haven't 100% decided. I, I usually, you, you know, decide afterwards after I record these episodes on exactly what I'm going to put on those. But if you want to get access to that, um, join the link in the description below. It's at joinsubtext.com slash locked on Falcons. And not only do you get access, exclusive access to those extended all 22 reviews where you get this sort of insight that you're just not getting as a quote unquote normal, you know, locked on Falcons listener. You want to be an insider. You, you got to get up inside. You know, <laughs> I, I always got to make it weird, don't I? But, um, you know, not only do you get that, you get that one-on-one -on -one connection. Someone asked me a question on there. We'll answer that question later in the episode, but you can provide your feedback. You can vent a little bit. You can ask questions, all that and more. So you get that one-on-one -on -one connection. It's basically like having me in your phone and you can text me whenever you want. You also get, you know, me venting at you as well, although that's probably not a selling point. Uh, but, you know, uh, that is the way you can get that. And the link is in the description below. But we're going to continue today's Locked on Falcons all 22 review by talking a little bit more about the defense and some of the adjustments they made. We'll talk about sort of the changes to their dime and nickel rotation, as well as I think we learned what Jeff Akuda's kryptonite is, and we'll get into all of that as we continue today's Locked on Falcons. So good, bad, or in between, you don't want to root for your favorite team on an empty stomach, so order your faves with DoorDash. Whether your team is winning, you know, order something to celebrate. If your team is losing, order something as a pick-me-up. Whatever you want, DoorDash has the unbeatable deals that are going to be great for your watch party, watch party or tailgate, and all your favorite restaurant stores from retail to grocery are all on the app. It's easy to shop for, and you can get everything you need to be game day ready. So... Sign up now and you'll get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $15 or more on your first order when you download the DoorDash app and enter code LOCK23. Subjects to change, terms apply. 
That's 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $15 or more on your first order when you download the DoorDash app and enter code LOCK23. Don't forget to use that code LOCK23, L-O-C-K-E-D-2-3, for 50% off up to a $10 value on your first order when you download the DoorDash app and spend $15 or more subject to change. Terms apply. And guys, I want to tell you about Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. And now that basketball season is here, it's even more exciting because Prize Picks has a specials league where you can combine projections across sports. You want to combine NBA, college football, college pro football, college basketball. It's all part of the specials league. For example, you can combine, you know, three points made for your favorite NBA star along with your, you know, your favorite uh college or pro quarterback in terms of touchdowns thrown or whatever. Right. So if you have the skills, you can find ways to turn $10 into $250 with prize picks. It's simple to play. Just pick two or more players, pick more or less on the projected stats. And the more entries you make, the more money you can make up to 25 times your money. There's quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and enormous selection of players and stat types is what makes prize picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL. And use code locked on NFL in lowercase for a first deposit match up to one hundred dollars. That's prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL and promo code locked on NFL. Prize picks is daily fantasy made easy. So before we continue today's locked on Falcons, I do want to plug the innovators and icons of the locked on uh podcast network with the locked on sports today 24-7 streaming channel. It's the first ever of its kind. It's covering all the leagues, all the sports, all the national shows, all on one platform all on the Locked On Sports Today 24 streaming channel. So go ahead and subscribe to Locked On Sports Today 24-7 streaming YouTube channel. So let's talk defense and, you know, some of the, the tweaks and adjustments the Falcons made coming out of the bye week. The, you know, this has been a season-long project of, of studying what Ryan Nielsen's defense is and trying to learn what his defense is. And part of the thing I do each and every week, charting the defense on my own and trying to take note of, okay, well, what they did this and why did they do that and all that stuff. And so it's all part of the learning process of, of trying to grasp, you know, defensive play calling much better than I have historically. Um, and, you know, we, we've talked before about how the Falcons primarily tend to use dime defense on third downs. That was the case again this week. But we've talked about the differences between the traditional dime, the 4-1-6 dime defense, and the ruby dime defense, which is the 3-2-6 dime defense, three down linemen, two linebackers, or four down linemen, one linebacker. And this game, they were primarily in that traditional dime after a couple of weeks of playing Ruby leading into the bye week. But they did sprinkle in a couple of plays of the Ruby this week, and they did sprinkle in a couple of plays of Big Nickel. Now, I wasn't aware of any times where they used Big Nickel on third downs. It was either dime or Ruby on those third down situations. But that Big Nickel, they had Richie Grant playing that nickel cornerback, right, and DeMarco Hellams as the sort of sub in safety, right? The big nickel, for those of you that don't know, is, you know, you have the traditional five D-backs of, of of nickel, but instead of three corners and two safeties, it's three safeties and two corners. Um, so we saw a healthy rotation, I guess you could say, of D. Alford, Mike Hughes, and Richie Grant to a, some extent playing that sort of nickel cornerback role in this game. And it was an interesting rotation um you know the coaching staff uh, arthur smith specifically you know seemed to attribute that after the game to we were playing a lot of man coverage and that's what we wanted to do we, to keep guys fresh i'm not 100 buying that but you know 
for my charting, they did play a lot of man coverage. They played about 53% man coverage in this game based off my charting. Uh, and that was primarily deployed in the second half, right? My charting had the Falcons playing uh, man coverage on 32% of passing downs in the first half and 78% of passing downs in the second half. Um, but what was interesting to me is because at least, again, I, I didn't chart every snap or, or, you know, seeing who's on the field. I just take note of sort of what formations they're in when I'm charting defense, you know, primarily focus on the covered shells uh, as opposed to the fronts. Um, but, you know, I only mostly noticed Mike Hughes playing in the first half. So he was rotating into the game when the Falcons were playing a lot of zone. And then when they switched to primarily man coverage in the second half, it felt like D. Alford was out there pretty much exclusively or, or you know, almost exclusively. So that's why I'm not necessarily buying that, like, oh, they wanted to keep guys fresh because they were playing a lot of man coverage. Uh, just because they were only seemingly rotating those guys in the first half when they weren't playing nearly as much man coverage as they were later in the game. Um, now, to me, what was notable is that second half adjustment that they made was that was the point in the game where Rashid Shahid and Chris Olave were out of the game, right? And it's like, then they started playing a lot of man coverage because they were like, yeah, we can we can man up Keith Kirkwood and you know Lynn Bowden Jr. and, and whoever else were the Saints receivers at that point in time. Uh, felt pretty good about that. And, you know, maybe in in to give the coaches a benefit of the doubt, like the, the Falcons do play a healthy amount of match coverage when they do play zone, which means basically, you know, when a guy comes into your zone as a defender, you basically switch to man coverage. Um, and th- this was the case in this game. Most of their zone based on my charting was match coverage. So maybe that's what the coaches were alluding to with them playing a lot of man coverage and rotating guys in. But that was just it was interesting for the reasoning. So we'll we'll see what they if they continue this trend or this was just a specific to the Saints game sort of thing um, with this sort of rotation in the secondary in terms of big nickel, traditional dime, ruby dime, you know, all that stuff and more. But, you know, the other thing that stood out to me watching the game was I think we found Jeff Akuda's kryptonite. This was kind of probably his worst game of the season. And that kryptonite is Chris Olave because I charted, you know, they were matched up in coverage four times. And Akuda gave up four catches on those four targets for 78 yards, including that big 51-yard play earlier in the game. And, you know, my expectations with Jeff Akuda earlier this season when we played Washington was, oh, he's going to struggle against Washington's speed. But he didn't struggle. And it was like that gave me some degree of confidence. Okay, Olave and Shahid. You know, he'll be fine in this game, and that wasn't the case. And, you know, that's we, – we we tend to dumb things down when it comes to receiver and cornerback matchups. And like, oh, he's – you know, he's good against this type of receiver. And just because you're good against that type of receiver doesn't mean you're good against all of the receivers of that type. For example, like A.J. Terrell, we know is much better against the smaller, quicker, speedier, wide receivers. But Terry McLaurin has given him a lot of problems, while, like, a player like Stephon Diggs has not, right? You know? And that just, you know, that is what it is. And so, you know, Jeff Okuda, even though he did fine against Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson in that Washington game and others throughout the season, but maybe we just, you know, Chris Olave is going to be that guy that gives him problems more often than not. So we'll we'll see about that, uh, especially, you know, we get to week 18. And uh, I'll be curious to sort of see, you know, because we didn't really get the chance to see it because Olave got hurt basically on like the third play of the second um, half. But you know, I wondered a little bit if 
the Falcons, one of the adjustments the Falcons were going to make was to ask AJ Terrell to shadow him in the second half. Um, but we didn't really get that opportunity. So he was AJ Terrell was on Alave for the bulk of the passing plays. I think they ran like three passing plays before he got hurt. And he was on them, uh, I think on two of those plays, but one of them he was not. So um it's hard to sort of glean if he was if the Falcons were in the process of of switching to more of that shadow coverage, but we'll, we'll see, you know, come week 18, if, if that's going to be something the Falcons do uh, in that game. But obviously that will be a conversation that we'll have, you know, potentially on a crossover or, you know, with Jarvis Davis, uh, you know, six weeks from now or five weeks from now, whenever that is. But um, the last little tidbit is, you know, we, we saw more of Helms and, and Grant kind of rotating at that safety spot. And I thought Helms, you know, played better in coverage than I, than I have traditionally given him credit for. I've been one of those people like, you know, I haven't been enthusiastic about Richie Grant's play this year, but I don't feel like DeMarco Helms is, uh, you know, a potential solution to that problem just because of concerns about his coverage. But his coverage was fine in this game. So uh, it wasn't a major issue. But at the same time, Richie Grant had a nice bounce back game. He had one of the better games he's had this season as well. So we'll see if, uh, you know, you know this is a one-off or, or this is a trend of Richie playing strong down the stretch. And we don't have to necessarily worry about that second safety spot going into the offseason as much as we thought we would be, uh, you know, a week or two ago, but we'll see how that goes. So we'll wrap up today's episode. We'll set the record straight on my feelings on Arthur Smith's play calling. And we'll talk a little bit more about Kyle Pitts's recovery from the knee injury. And that's all to continue on today's locked on Falcons. So we know that the Falcon success depends on having the right team members on their team and your success for your small business or the company that you may be hiring for is also true, depending on you hiring the right team. And it's easy for you to find those people because you have LinkedIn jobs. They're going to help you find the right people for your team faster and for free. They give you the simple tools like screening questions. That's going to make it easy for you to focus on the candidates with just the right skills and experiences so you can quickly prioritize who you want to interview, who you want to hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs is going to help you find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NFL. That's linkedin.com slash locked on NFL to post your job for free terms and conditions apply. So wrapping up today's Locked On Falcons, our first question comes from one of our Locked On Falcons insiders. Again, this is the premium access that you guys get for, you know, rock bottom prices because it's $4.99 a month, but you get 14 days free. So you can pepper me with questions for two whole weeks and get access to the extended all 22 review for two whole weeks for free. And then, you know, you can cancel no, no harm, no foul or whatever, or, you know, because you just are so addicted to, you know, that back and forth that we're going to have, that rapport that we're going to build. We're going to be like Drake London, Desmond Ritter, guys, with that rapport we're going to build. And, you know, maybe you'll keep going. But anyway, all that to say, our first question comes from Chris, who is a Locked On Falcons insider. He says, Pitts looks slower to me on tape when I watch. I'm wondering if you see the same thing. I'm not sure if it's because of him having to recover from an ACL injury or if my eyes are deceiving me. So, Chris, as far as we know, it's an MCL injury, not an ACL injury. But part, of course, you know, MCL injuries are like things that guys recover, you know, two or three months tops. And the fact that, you know, we went like nine plus months makes me suggest that it was a little bit more than the MCL injury that it was officially reported as. But we will, you know, we won't get any sort of clarity on that uh, probably uh, unless Kyle Pitts himself tells us 
uh, you know, posted on Instagram or something like that. But, um, you know, for me, I, I think, and I've said this on previous episodes, I feel like Pitts has regained a lot of the explosiveness that he had pre-injury that over the last three or four games, I've seen that explosibility getting in and out of brace, showing that ability to sort of close on a ball. There was a play against the Vikings. I want to say it was in the fourth quarter where he cut that big pass down the seam from Taylor Heineke. And like, he had to kind of like explode the last few yards to make that grab, to go get the football. And like that to me showed me that like, he's got that juice back. Right. And I think some of the reason why the perception of Pitts is I think just the way he runs, like he has more of a loping gait than a full out sprint that you would expect. And so I think that makes it seem like he's often going half speed. And so that leads to some people questioning his effort. Um, but it's just like, he's not a guy that's like out there, you know, pumping his arms and, and doing the full, like I'm expending all of my energy to, to maximize my speed. It's just more of like a, a gentle jog, <laughs> but you know, it's an, he's an easy mover. Um, and so I think that's colors some of the perception of, you know, how explosive is he, how healthy is he, that sort of thing. Um, but for me, at least over the last three or four games, I feel like he's looked much more like the pre-injury Kyle Pitts, just because just a couple of things, again, you're not going to see him doing that full out sprint or anything. It's just like that little juice that he shows to get from point A to point B. And sometimes it's only like three or four yards that he needs to make up that ground. I feel like I'm seeing more of that in recent weeks than I have before. So I don't think the, the, the injury is an issue anymore, but you know, we'll, we'll have to sort of see, um, you know, our next question comes from email, uh, which was sent to locked on Falcons at mail.com. And this was another one of those mailbag leftover mailbag questions from earlier this month that I did not get to. So you'll see. But uh, this one comes from Josh. He says, you have said something over the past few months that has been bugging me a little bit. Basically, that play calling isn't that big a factor when it comes to wins and losses. And I, am I hearing that right? I guess I'm not sure I agree since this is a game of inches and oftentimes comes down to the wire. Today, you were talking about the loss of the Titans, that you know, dating win that episode uh, and how they basically called the game in the second half like you would have hoped they would have called it in the first half is that a breakdown in play calling or is that a breakdown in execution i know i will always miss shanahan's play calling but there are lots of plays that are called with this regime where i'm left scratching my head and if i am noticing that as a regular fan it's probably making a bigger difference overall anyway this is a bit of a stream of consciousness thoughts from josh so first of all it wasn't i wasn't trying to say that play calling doesn't matter in general. I was more referring specifically to the Falcons that I don't think their play calling is holding them back to the degree that I think a lot of other people say it does, right? I think their play calling is fine. It's not elite. It's not great. It's fine. It's more than good enough for this team to be six and seven and what, what, what's the record? <laughs> like, you know, they should be like seven and four or whatever the record should be. You know, and like their play calling is more than good enough to get them there. The reason why they're not seven and four is because, you know, a certain someone benched the quarterback. And again, he gets more grief for the play calling. And like my personal opinion is the Falcons are going to be two wins worse than they should be because of that decision, not because of play calling, but different strokes for different folks. Um, so that's the clarify. So I hope that's makes it clear, Josh, what I mean. Secondly, the Titans game was the first time 
that the common criticism I had been hearing up to that point in the season, which was the Falcons are too pass happy. And that's, you know, a reflection of poor play calling and poor game planning. Um, that was the first game where I felt like that was true, right? There were other games where I felt like their pass happiness was at least defensible. And I don't think the Titans game was one of those games where it was that, that defensible. So that was what I was referring to with their, you know, game plan being different in the first half versus the second half. Like they were much more committed to running the football in the second half than they should have been just as committed to running the football in the first half because it was just as pretty much just as effective in the first half. They just didn't do it. But um, the Shanahan stuff, and I, I'm I'm sure you probably don't mean it this way, but like part of it is like I don't hold Arthur Smith to the same standard I hold held Kyle Shanahan, right? Like Kyle Shanahan, you know, or like I, I famously used to compare Dirk Cutter. I would say like Dirk Cutter's the Andy Dalton of play callers, right? So Kyle Shanahan to me would be like the Joe Burrow of play callers or something like that, right? And I wouldn't hold Andy Dalton to a, a Joe Burrow standard. And, you know, I'm sure I've probably compared Arthur Smith to a different quarterback in the past. But for today, let's compare him to the Kirk Cousins of play callers, right? Like that to me is kind of where Arthur Smith is. And like I wouldn't hold Kirk Cousins to the Joe Burrow standard. Right. Because I know Joe Burrow is just better than Kirk Cousins. Right. But Cousins is kind of a polarizing player because, like, when you look at Kirk Cousins, it's like he's an asset for like 10 to 12 games every single season in the regular season. And one of the better quarterbacks, a legit top 10 to 12 quarterback in this league, you know, and has consistently been that for seven, eight years. And so that's going to be an asset for you, you know for 10 to 12 games in a regular season where it becems a problem is the other 4 to 6 games in the regular season and or the playoffs where you know you're facing someone like an Aaron Rodgers or something like that where suddenly his ability is not good enough and he becomes a liability and that's to me kind of you know the Arthur Smith thing where it's like yeah you know there may be shortcomings of his but you're only going to feel it at a certain point in the year in the calendar year and it's not really this point in time like January maybe but not now and so you know it the reason why Cousins is polarizing, and you know, again, you can insert Arthur Smith into this analogy uh, to make it clearer, is because, like, you know, it depends on which side of that you focus on. Do you focus on the ten or twelve games where he's an asset, or do you focus on the four to six games where he's a liability? Because you know, losing the Vikings as an example, like a couple of years ago, when they had a really strong supporting cast around Kirk Cousins, top ten defense, Dalvin Cook, Stephon Diggs, Dylan, all all those guys operating at a high level ready-made playoff team, it, the notion was, you know, Kirk Cousins was holding them back back in, like, 2019, right? But nowadays, when you look at the Vikings today, like, Kirk Cousins is much lower on the totem pole of Vikings problems, you know, today because they don't have that same level of supporting cast around them. The running game has taken a step back, right? They had to invest more weapons. That's why they drafted Jordan Addison in the first round last year. Their defense isn't certainly anywhere close, or maybe it's trending back towards that, but it's not nearly as dominant as they were, you know, four or five years ago uh, today. And so Kirk Cousins isn't the biggest problem. And that's to me kind of how I perceive Arthur Smith, where like, I think a lot of people nationally and locally sort of perceive the Falcons as like the 2019 Vikings as this ready made, ready to go. And if we can just tweak the play calling a little bit, or we can upgrade the quarterback or something like that, all of a sudden we're like a true blue contender and to me, I, I look at the Falcons as closer to today's Vikings as opposed to that 2019 version of them a couple of years ago where, you know, they're kind of at best a wild card team, you know, 
and the main reason why they're a wild card team is because they play in a crappy conference, right? You know, they wouldn't be a wild card team in any other in any other conference. But you know, that leads to me not being as hyper focused on all the things that you know, all the plays that Kirk Cousins leaves on the field, or in this case, Arthur Smith leaves on the field from a play calling standpoint, all, all those plays that are holding quote unquote holding the Falcons back from a play calling standpoint, because I, I look at this team that they still need a serious infusion of talent to skill positions. They still need to stabilize this offensive line. Um, they are probably three or four pieces away from having a legitimately good pass rush. You know, they probably could potentially upgrade two starters in their secondary this offseason, right? And they still have to build up the depth across the roster. And like those are problems are just as pressing to me as any concerns I have with Arthur Smith's play call. And in fact, those are more pressing concerns. And I think a lot of other people just kind of look at those issues and just kind of ignore those issues or are convinced that like those issues will just go away if the Falcons can upgrade their play calling or upgrade their quarterback. And like, I don't think that's true, right? Those, you know, if you do that, you just solve two out of the six or eight problems that you have. And what's funny to me is also like, you know, I, I saw several people praising the Falcons play calling after the Saints game. And like, to me, it was the same as it's always been. But, you know, people don't complain about play calling after wins. They only complain about losses. That's been a trend I've noticed over two decades of interacting with, with Falcon fans. And so, you know, I'm sure some of you are like, but aren't the Vikings getting rid of Kirk Cousins after the season? And it's like, okay, it's not the cleanest analogy. Okay. It's not a perfect analogy, right? You know, that's related to age, injury, and salary. But you, know, you get what I'm saying when it comes to Arthur Smith. Like, he's a capable play caller. And I, I think focusing on the handful of things, you know, like I could sit here and be like, there's, eight red zone play calls that I hate that Arthur Smith has called this year. But like that, that kind of comes with, to me, that just kind of comes with territory. So that's kind of how I feel about it, but that's going to do it for us here. I hope that answers your question, Josh. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with a crossover Thursday with locked on jets host, John Bushko. Appreciate it guys. Till then.